0: Today, we're going to wrap up the series, Noble Character, the Key to True Success. And I want to say thank you to to the team here at Calvary, to the staff, and to those who have contributed during this series uh, on uh, on true success and character. Has God been speaking to you, challenging you uh, to become a person of noble character, as the Bible talks about? And today, uh, I, I had asked Pastor Chris, he's going to put a bow tie on this we're going to wrap it up today and on the message of gratitude and uh, we're going to take some time uh, after the message uh, through communion and to remember what christ has done for us but this morning i want to really encourage you to take good notes and uh, for me personally uh, this is a super in fact not only just for me personally i believe from the scriptures it's a very important character quality that god wants us to have and it's something as a parent uh, as a dad to be able to teach my kids super important just for those who are young parents i would encourage you to take good notes here this morning and i just pray that that what we hear today we will be living this out so this morning pastor chris uh, is going to be bringing the word of uh, gratitude here this morning
1: awesome all right stacy you sure you don't want to preach that was good. That was awesome. Let's go ahead and pray, everybody. Father God, we are so thankful for today, and we're so thankful uh, just for everything that you've given so freely. We thank you again, Lord God, just for the freedom that we have to worship you, to enter into your presence. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, for all the things that we get to do in your kingdom. We thank you uh, for fellowship. We thank you for friends and family. Uh, we thank you for a beautiful summer, Lord God. We thank you for great weather. And just uh, we just commit to you our time, Lord God, we say, have your way in this place. We say, speak to us, minister to our hearts, Lord God. Um, give us ears to hear what you want each one of us to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Give us eyes to see what your scripture says, Lord God. Would you help us, Lord, not to be um, bogged down and burdened, Lord God, by uh, legalism, or religion, or any lie of the enemy, but Lord God, would you flood our hearts with your grace and with your mercy and give us a revelation of your goodness. And I pray, Lord God, that out of the overflow of that revelation, Lord God, that gratitude would be a natural byproduct and not something that we would have to muster up. So we thank you for what you're going to do in this place. We thank you for this time. We thank you for every single person here and that you would bless our time in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Awesome. Like Pastor said, we've been in this series on gratitude for the past couple weeks. It's been a really good time. Um, If you're new here, uh, if you were here last week, um, I wasn't. I was out of town visiting some family, but I got a chance to hear the message by Pastor Otis online, uh, and he did an absolutely wonderful talk on love. How many were here for that? Was it really good? It was really good. I I was really encouraged by that. And so I'm going to kind of pick up where he left off when he was speaking on love, and we're going to be talking about the subject of gratitude today. Everybody say gratitude. gratitude. Turn to somebody and say, I'm grateful for you. Turn to somebody else and say, I'm still working on it. So, but listen, gratitude. uh, You know what? Here's the thing Um, I've got like a list of things I kind of want to talk about today, some scripture I want to share and teach from, and some things that like really I do want to teach. It's going to be more of a teaching today than preaching. But um, what I want to ask is, you know, during worship, I was just praying and kind of like asking God, like, how do you want me to communicate this? And one of the things I feel really strongly about is I really feel like a lot of this is I, I kind of just want to share out of the overflow of my heart, if that will be okay with everyone. Just a lot of things that God has been doing, and I'll share naturally out of that. So it won't always look polished when I share that way, uh, but it's kind of a testimony of what God's been doing. Um, I really feel like whatever God feeds me is great to feed other people with. So um, a lot of what I'll be sharing today is just stuff that God's been speaking to me. Um, and I'll just start by saying that, um, I turned 30 recently and it's been a real source of depression. (laughs) It's been a real source of depression. I'm going through a quarter life crisis, but it's been, it's been all right. But anyways, I've reached that age now where I've started to say things like this when I was your age. I never thought I would say that, but now I'm starting to say when I was your age or, or I've said, you know, um, something to the extent of, Uh, you know, back in the day or something like that. So anyways, I've noticed that there are now trends. The the generation gap between me and high schoolers and younger people, is just depressing. It's just absolutely depressing. I've given up trying to be cool. Um, I've got my my younger sister, Michaela, who helps me, but it's it's really, it's bad. It's a work in progress. But um, I'm now at the point now where generations are being raised with things that I was introduced to. So anyways, now there's a whole generation being raised up with technology in a way that it was all new to me. Like, I'm kind of Generation X, so everything I was introduced to was like, oh, it was brand new. So I remember uh, being in high school, and I remember, you know, some things never change, and telephones never change with teenagers. They want to be on it all the time. They want to be communicating all the time. So I was, on, I, was just, I was a teenager too, and I wanted to be connected to all my friends, so I would always do that through the phone. The only problem is, when I was in ninth grade, when I was a freshman in high school, to do that, we still had a cord attached to it. And if you wanted privacy, you needed to take that cord and kind of, like, hope it reached into the bathroom and you closed the door and locked it. And then, you know, your parents come up and they're, like, listening in on the bathroom conversation and what's going on. Um, I remember when, like, call waiting came out. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. I remember when caller ID came out. That was the greatest thing ever. Nope, I am not answering that one. So, but anyways... So anyways, I remember that there was just a lot of things that being on the phone was a lot of fun. Uh, I love being connected to my friends, but I remember when cell phones first came out and my friends started getting them, my rich friends started getting them, and then slowly became more accessible. Technology-wise, I'm actually a little bit behind for my generation. I'm what you call in industry marketing terms a laggard. I'm the kind of person that gets... I get DVDs around the time people get Blu-rays. Uh, you know, I just now started getting Blu-rays and everybody's like, what do you even have Blu-rays for? Don't you just upload it? And I was like, oh gosh, I can't even keep up. But anyways, um, I eventually got a cell phone around the time that people started getting smartphones. So I remember when I got a, my first cell phone, it was something like this. It was like a little flip phone. And I remember how excited I was. I was like, oh my gosh, now I can be connected all the time. I'm connected anywhere I go. And I just remember how grateful I was. And then like when text messaging came out, oh, this is so awesome. I don't have to talk to them. I can just message them. You know, like I don't have to like fake a conversation for 10 minutes. I can just be like, I'll be there in a minute and skip all the formalities and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was great when I first got a phone like this. Then the most horrible thing in the world happened. They came out with something like this, the iPhone. And then I just remember like the flood of like oh my gosh, my phone's a piece of junk now. It's like, I, I used to tell people, my phone's so ghetto, the only thing it's missing is the string with the other can attached to the end of it. It's like, so like, all of a sudden, what I was so grateful for and what I thought was the coolest thing in the world became some like a great source of shame for me. I was like, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't be seen in public, you know? It's like somebody needs to write an article about me in Voice of the Martyrs, you know? It's like... I, you know, I'm, ta- I'm bearing my cross, my 4G flip phone cross. I got to bear daily. It's like, so I eventually got a smartphone. I remember I, I finally gave in. You know, my, my, my family had an intervention. And like, listen, we need to talk. It's, it's time. It's time. You know, we're sending you group text messages, and it takes you three hours to get one of them. It's like, <laughs> you, need, you need to get a smartphone. So I finally gave in, and I got, a, you know, an iPhone 4S, and that was around the time that the f- iPhone 5S came out. And they're like, oh, you got a smart Oh, isn't that cute? It's a 4S. <laughs> well, the important thing is you tried, you know, so I was like, you know, I just give up. I, I give up. So anyways, iPhone 6 is about to come out. This is about to become, a, you know, the wheel. You know, it's about to become a rock. Anyways, but it's amazing how quickly I can go from gratitude to shame, how easily you can lose discontent. Like you can become really discontent with something that you were really pleased with. Um, like, real quickly, and it's amazing, our culture is completely designed to uh, impart discontentedness in us. Uh, I, we, you know what? Listen, we got to see a video on some people uh, who are really going through some hard times to give us perspective on this. So Alex, can you roll that?
2: Every year of every day, thousands of people fall victim to FWP. I'm so cold, I'm starving. Nobody cares about me, also known as first world problems. I'm so cold. Somebody set the AC to 72. I need it at 73. starving. Oh, it has yes. leftovers. Nobody cares about me. Nobody commented or liked my status. Hi, I'm Ryan Higa, and for just five hours of attention a day, you could help somebody with FWP. Everyone keeps putting so much pressure on me. I don't know what I want for my birthday. I have too much chips for my dip. If I open any dip, I'll have too much dip for my chips. Why does Apple keep making new iPhones? Now I have to get another one? They've been through so much struggle. The remote's over there. But I'm all the way over here. So much hardship. My iPhone 5 is too big for my skinny jeans. So much attention. Tension. I poured my cereal without checking to see if we had milk. So please, show your support and send them this video. And show them how much we care about their FWPs. I bought too many groceries. Now I'll have to make two trips. All you have to do is call the URL, one 800org and we'll send you the FWP helping kit, which includes a bridge, a straw. Here's a bridge, now get over it. Here's a straw, now suck it up. We can put an end to FWPs and focus on the real problem like starving children, or homeless people. Because if you're complaining about something as silly as the iPhone 5, just wait till you see the iPhone 6. Oh, this? This is the iPhone 5S. This is the iPhone 6.
1: Take up our cross. Oh my gosh. Listen, friends, we live in a culture that, at every turn, is trying to make us discontent with the way we live. Like, really quickly. Um, everything, marketing, advertisers, on many occasions, lawyers, politicians, the message that we constantly hear is what you have isn't enough, what you have does not supply, what you have is, is insufficient, what you have makes you lacking. So when you go to a mall or when you're checking out at a grocery store and you look at all the magazine ads, they're basically gospel proclamations on how you can get your heavenly lawn or your heavenly, you know, six easy steps to whatever, you know, basically insinuating that you're too fat, not ugly. Your hair isn't just right. Your car's too slow. It's not manly enough. It's not girly enough. It's not skinny enough. It's not fat enough. You're not buff enough, you know, and so on and so forth. And And what they're trying to do is breed discontent. You know, if you ever take a marketing or advertising class, they'll always tell you that you don't try to push the product. You try to push the need that it meets in your heart. That's what marketing does. It needs to appeal to your sense of beauty. It needs to appeal to your sense of significance. And it needs to appeal uh, to your sense of um, taste. And what's interesting is many of the things that they try to appeal to are the same things uh, that the enemy has been trying to do in our lives for generations. If you remember back to uh, Genesis, because this is a story as ancient as humanity itself. You remember back to Genesis, what did Satan try to do with Adam and Eve? And what was he successful in? He wanted to tempt them. He wanted to lure them with fruit. But he didn't come along and say, eat this fruit. What he did is he appealed to their nature, their, their, their desires, their, their, you know, their need for some significance, their need for something beautiful, their need for something delicious. That's how Satan appealed to them. And there's something that's so subtle in the story of Genesis. We're so quick to miss it that it wasn't necessarily um, the fruit that was the big lure What Satan was able to do before he was ever able to cause humanity to sin was to sow a seed of discontentedness in what they already had in their life. What Satan does is come along and he tells each and every one of us, look at the one tree that you can't have. God's holding back from you. He's holding good from you. You know, in fact, there's a really great book by a lady named Ann Voskamp. And she says this. She says, The cornerstone of the enemy's campaign is to get us to believe that God... Isn't good. He was he withholds good from his children that he doesn't genuinely, fully, truly love us. So Satan says, look at the one tree that you can't have. Satan says, I mean, Satan says, look at the one tree that you can't have. God says, look at the whole garden that you can have. And that's the essence of contentment. 1 Timothy 6:6 six, six talks about that godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, so what we're going to be talking about with gratitude today um, is what First of all, what is the enemy of gratitude? And I'm going to be talking about a couple of things that gratitude does in our lives. Uh, really that there's two enemies. And um, you can write this down in your notes that you have. I didn't really write this down. But there's two enemies of gratitude in our lives. And one of them is discontentedness, which we've already talked about. And the other one, which is really pervasive in our culture and has cr- really gone viral in our culture and made us into a toxic culture, is Entitlement. Entitlement is the, just the vicious enemy of gratitude in our hearts. Here's why they're the enemy. Discontentedness will get us to believe that what we have is not enough. Entitlement will get us to believe that what we have, we actually deserve. So if we deserve it, we don't need to be grateful for it because we had it coming. If these two things envelop our heart, they will poison us. They will keep us from being grateful because we will believe that we deserve the things that are coming towards us, and we will believe that we actually deserve more. And what these two things will do will leave us in this endless cycle of needing more and never being satisfied. Right now, it's interesting that in our culture, the number one prescription drug in the entire nation is antidepressants, and we live in a nation that says have more, get more, and the more we get and the more we have, the more depressed that we actually are. What we're going to talk about with, King, uh, with gratitude today is that instead of living in a culture of discontentedness, we're going to look at what God prescribes, and that is a kingdom of gratitude. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, in, the, in this series, we've been going through all these character traits, and in every one so far, the, pastor, uh, the pastors and speakers have had quotes. So I have a few quotes also for gratitude, if we can go ahead and get those up on the screen. Thomas Merton says, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything. It's It's awesome. Meister Eckhart, if, only, if the only prayer you ever say in your whole life is thank you, that would suffice. So good. John F. Kennedy says, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter the words, but to live by them. Thank you, JFK. Rick Warren says, in happy moments, praise God. In difficult moments, seek God. In quiet moments, worship God. In painful moments, trust God. Every moment, thank God. That's awesome. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wonderful pastor in Nazi Germany uh, uh, during just a horrendous time of opposition, says, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. So awesome. Robert Brault says, there is no such thing as gratitude unexpressed. If it is unexpressed, it is plain, good old-fashioned ingratitude. Melody Beattie says, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. It's awesome. So good. Thomas Merton, again, he says, To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us. And he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense grace f- from him. Thomas Merton again, gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never, un, uh, sorry, never unresponsive. It, constantly, it, it is constantly awakening to our wonder and to praise to the goodness of God, for the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience, and that is what makes all the difference. Is there another one? Is that it? I think that's the last one of the quotes. So again, gratitude, we're going to be talking about that today. Um, and one of the things that here, here's, hear me now on this Gratitude's one of those things we've been talking about character traits. And when we're talking about character traits, what we're essentially looking at is we're looking at a trait that we want to possess in our hearts that we want to acquire or have more of. Now, what's tempting is to get up here and say, you need to be grateful, but how many of you know that it does not make you grateful? When you were a kid and you got a gift in the mail and your parents said, you need to write some thank you letters. How many know that that didn't necessarily flood your hearts with gratitude? You're just, you know. So here's what I want to say just from the offset. Gratitude is not something that we muster up. Gratitude, I really feel like this is kind of what God whispered to me in prayer. I really feel like that gratitude comes naturally when we get a revelation of all that he has done for us. When our eyes get set on the work that he has done and not what we have done. When we get an accurate revelation and perspective of who he is and who we are in light of him and then all, all that he has done in light of that, the natural response will be gratitude. So my prayer today is that all of us will get a revelation in our hearts and our minds of gratitude towards God, of his goodness and all that he's done. Gratitude towards other people will come when we have a revelation of how God uses them to work in our lives. When we get a revelation of every single person created in the image of God, we'll be grateful for them. It's hard to be de- grateful for some people in our lives if we're just perfectly honest. There's people in our lives that, just quite frankly, we wish weren't in our lives. But I really believe that through an accurate revelation and, and just through just God speaking to us and revealing his image, the... the um, Imago day is what it's called in the Greek, but a revelation of God's image in each and every person that we will be, learn to be grateful for the employer, the employee, the whacked out cousin, you know, the, the customer who just whatever, and so on and so forth. So, um, going into this, a couple of key scriptures that I want to talk about um, Psalm 100, verse 4. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. I love what uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick of a church up in North Carolina says about this. He's like, before you come into his house and ask him for anything, you thank him for everything. Yeah. Colossians three seventeen says this: and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So good. First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen says: rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So what I want to talk about today is a few things, four things that gratitude does in our lives, four things that gratitude does in our lives. Um, And as we go through these, I'll kind of share some stories and some things that have kind of like uh, just been on my heart in regards to gratitude. Uh, Pastor has said this before, but as I have gone through this, it's just one of those things. When you're talking about character, as I'm studying and as I'm praying, I'm like, God, will you reveal this to me? Convicting. It is just the most convicting thing to be looking at what Christ-like character looks like, to see what we're called to and sometimes how short we can fall of that. So a lot of this stuff in my life is so convicting over the past week. I've kind of gone over this, and I'm like, ouch, God, ouch, God, ouch, God. It's like, just give me a little break on this. But anyways, I think it'll be beneficial to all of us. So first thing gratitude does is it humbles. It humbles. James 1, chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says this. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. One of the things that gratitude does is it's a recognition of where the source of everything comes from. When you're grateful for something, you are acknowledging that you are thankful for something that you did not give in and of yourself, that you did not get in and of yourself. It came from someone else. It came from something else. And ultimately, like what we see in in, uh, James, is that ultimately it all comes from God. All comes from his source. It's like, you know, what about, you know, all the shifts that I've worked and all the hours I put in at work. He get, like Pastor already said it, he gave us the strength to work. He gave us the wisdom to work. Ultimately, everything we're capable of, the creativity that we're capable of, our ability to paint or to write music, our ability to sculpt, to dance, to do business, to do construction, all of that. All that ultimately is from God. It's a gift that he's given us. What gratitude does is it says, thank you for the gifts that you've given me which have enabled me to be productive, to produce something, to be effective in work or at a job. Uh, thank you for the f- family that I have because I, you know, that's a gift from you. The children that I have, Lord, your word says that that's a gift from you, that children are a blessing from the Lord. You know? uh, so when you're uh, being grateful, when you're expressing gratitude and praise and thanksgiving, what you're saying is, thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given, it's a it's a humbling thing to acknowledge that you didn't do it on your own, that God played a part in that, and that because of His goodness and His grace and His sovereignty, that you're able to enjoy the benefits that He's given. The second thing that it does is it shows love. It shows love. Psalm 69, verse 30, 31 says this: it "says I will praise the name of God with a song; I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull." Or horns with hoofs. What he's talking about in the Old Testament there in the book of Psalms is like, listen, there's things that you do for God. In the Old Testament, what they're referring to here is sacrifice, animal sacrifice. You know, I want to do something pleasing for God. We're going to sacrifice some bulls and some rams just like he commanded us to, which is great, which is great. But at the end of the day, what he's saying is, listen, thank you for the sacrifice of the animal. How about a sacrifice of your heart? How about a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude for all that God has done? What the Bible says is that this is actually an act of love to him. It shows love to him. Also, when you express gratitude to someone else, it's an act of love to them, it's encouraging, it's affirming, it's gratifying when, you, when somebody has done something for you that you just turn and simply say thank you or you express that thanks. Um, one of the things I was thinking about uh, when doing this, and, and I think I do this every time I preach. Many of you all know that I also work in a restaurant. Um, so I take any chance and every chance I get to berate and uh, demonize bad tippers. And I will continue to do that so long as I work in a restaurant. But anyways, um, the power of appreciation, uh, gratitude, another word for gratitude is appreciation. And the word uh, appreciation, you know, the root word for that is appreciate. That word literally means to add value. In other words, when you're grateful to someone and when you express appreciation, you're adding value to that person. You're you're ascribing value to that person. You know, Ultimately, we hope that our houses appreciate in value, you know, because that means value is being added to it. If it's not, it's depreciating. So just in our lives, with people in our lives, with our family, our friends, the things that God has given us, just remember this, whatever we don't appreciate will depreciate. Whatever we don't add value to will cease to have value in our hearts. So gratitude does two things. It expresses love to them, but it gives us a heart of love for them. Uh, So that's one of the things with appreciation. So I've I've kind of used this, um, there's a phrase that we use in the restaurant business, it's called the verbal tipper. And the verbal tipper is the, man, great service, wonderful waiter, best experience I've ever had, three bucks. (laughs) And, um, you know, using that illustration, basically I would say this, a verbal tip plus a bad tip equals a verbal insult, (laughs) Period. You can, you can affirm them until you're blue in the face. If you're leaving them like a measly like 10%, 8%, you have just insulted that waiter if you really believe that they gave you good service. I'll say that. Um, the same is true like in our lives with other things though. Appreciation isn't just a matter of lip service. It's a matter of, of uh, gratitude from the heart. Has somebody done something for you? Has God done something for you? What will that look like? What will that produce in your actions towards them? What would that produce in your generosity back to them? Appreciation has legs. It does something. It goes somewhere, and it accomplishes something. Um, This is one of the reasons we haven't really talked about it a lot from the pulpit, but this is one of the reasons why we've incorporated these um, God loves you cards here. Um, Our hope with these is that um, throughout the day, this is just a random, simple, easy way to express gratitude to people in your life. Somebody's done something for you. Maybe you mowed their lawn. Maybe you uh, buy somebody a dinner or a lunch. Maybe it is that waiter and you leave them a really good tip because you're thankful for what they've done. Maybe it's you know, something like your doctor, your real estate agent. There's just a way that you can express gratitude and you leave this with them. Um, this might seem a little cheesy, but um, maybe, maybe many of you haven't heard the story. One of the reasons why we started doing these um, is we heard a few stories of a church that was doing these and we were absolutely just blown away by it. There was a story of this woman. Uh, She was eating at a diner and there was a a member of the church there, saw this woman and was just, you know, she looked a little bit down, she looked a little bit bit depressed and she was sitting there eating at this diner. And the guy was like, you know what, Um, he's praying, he's like, God, I, I just, I feel like you want me to do something nice for her. He pulls one of these out and he also writes like a little note to her. He said, listen, I don't know you, you don't know me, I just felt like God told me to give this to you. Um, and to just let you know that I love you and I'm thankful for you. We'll probably never meet again, but I just hope that this blesses your day. And he paid for the lady's meal and walked out, and she never even got a chance to meet him. Long story short, come to find out, she looks at the car, looks at the back, finds out what church she belongs to, and just goes over there and, like, who is this man? Trying to find out who he was. It turns out, this woman was a single mother of three. Her, she had just lost the only job that she had. The boyfriend wasn't paying child support. Everything was going downhill. She had planned that night to commit suicide. That meal that she was eating at that diner was her last meal. She's like, I'm going to eat one last meal and then I'm going to go kill myself. She was praying, God, if you are real, you really need to show up and you need to show up in a big way. And this man was an answer to this woman's prayer. You know, they're telling us this, and I'm just like in tears, you know. And it could be something significant like that, or it could be something as simple as you just pay for the person behind you in a drive through What gratitude does is it says, you know, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God created you. I'm thankful that you're in my life. I'm thankful for all that you've done and all that you are. And I just want to express that. So gratitude does show love. Third thing that gratitude does is it reproduces itself. Psalm 79, verse 13. Do we have that one? No, sorry. Psalm 79, verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. There is a generational aspect to gratitude and listen i was thinking about this i was praying about it and um this past week i was on vacation i got to spend some time with family uh my my family's here my uh my wife my sister-in-law my mother and father-in-law uh my sister's um extended family and we just had a wonderful time we went to Cocoa beach we you know did some surfing did some hanging out in the sun it was just wonderful but we were having dinner this one uh night and um my father-in-law, Blaine, you all know him, but he just started expressing, like a, he started telling a story of years ago when they were at the beach, and it was a story of just a little thing that God did for them. It was really cool, but basically they were at the beach and they lost a pair of goggles. No big deal, but they thought, what the heck, let's pray for this. God, can we have our goggles back basically? Come to find out. So what was it? You went to a different beach? They, they went from D- 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 Daytona Beach to Cocoa Beach, right? The goggles showed up at the other beach. So anyways, they're like, okay, God, you're trying to tell us something. What are you trying to tell us? So that got us thinking. It's like, listen, God cares about the small things too. So what we started doing is it started like this rapid fire thank you session. And we started recounting miracles. Okay, what did God do in your life? Oh my gosh, you, had, you were $100 short on your mortgage payment and he sent you a check in the mail. Oh my gosh, what happened? He healed your knee. Oh my gosh, what happened to you? And then just story after story. And pretty soon we've got like three generations of family telling miracles of what God has done in our life. It's unbelievable. And we're sitting there. Well, this was a family dinner and we're just like recounting all the things that God So what turned into a simple dinner turned into just like this wonderful time of just being thankful to God for all the little things that he's done in our life. You know what that does is it goes from being a story that we keep to ourselves to being a testimony that we pass on. Younger generations are there and they're hearing this and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, this isn't, you don't just drag me to church on Sunday. God really has moved in your life. And so what happens is that gratitude creates a testimony. It creates a testimony that we pass on. We tell our family. We tell our children and our children's children all the things. We recount what he has done in our life. We recount all the things that he has accomplished, all the things that he has shown us. And that's got power in it. That's got power. It's got, you know, it's got a a power in that testimony that it does. Um, And and what it does is that when we recount those things that he does, that he's done in our lives, it just flood our hearts with joy. Because again, what the, the enemy would do is to continue to accuse us to continue to accuse his character. So when we go through a rough time, it's very easy to forget all the wonderful times. When we're going through a time of financial difficulty, it's very easy to forget a supernatural, miraculous financial pr- provision. When there's something in our bodies going wrong, it's easy to forget a healing that he's already done. You know, so th- what gratitude does, what it, what it just produces praise that reminds us of what he has accomplished in our lives. I have to remember sometimes that he has healed my body before, which means he can heal my body again. He has provided before, which means he can provide again. He has healed relationships before, which means he can do it again. I have seen friends come to the Lord, which means he can bring revival again. These are the things that we need to remind ourselves of. He it reproduces itself. And I'm going to go ahead and close this up pretty quickly. The last, next thing it does is it demonstrates faith and produces worship. It demonstrates faith and produces worship. I'm not going to have this up on the screen, but there's a story in Luke chapter 17. Many of y'all are very familiar with this. It's the story of Jesus and the 10 men with leprosy that he heals. And the story is basically this. Jesus is walking along, and as he's going, there's 10 men who have leprosy, and they call out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. Basically, what Jesus does is he approaches these 10 men. He says, go show yourself to the priest. You know, He doesn't do anything right there on the spot. He just says, go and do it. All ten men go, and on the way between there and to the priest, they're healed of their leprosy. They're completely cleansed. And what Scripture recounts is that nine of these these ten men were most likely Jewish, and one of them was a Gentile Samaritan. If you know anything about Samaritans, they were outside kind of of the family of God. They're not considered, like in modern-day terms, the nine of them were churchgoers, and one of them was just like a man of the world, kind of like an outsider. So anyways, what that Scripture recounts is that that one man... The Samaritan is the only one out of the ten who returns to Jesus, falling on his face, weeping, praising God, and thanking Jesus for the healing. Jesus says something very interesting to him. He says, has no one else come back to give praise to God? Ultimately, nobody did. He says, go, your faith has made you well. What's interesting is they were all healed. That word well in scripture is the Greek word. It means so-so. And what it literally means is to be made completely whole. It's also translated saved in some scriptures. So what I want to point out from this scripture and is that obedience to the command healed their body. A response of praise and thanksgiving over what God did do in their life was demonstrated as an act of faith who, which made them completely whole. It made them completely whole. God will often do many things in our lives. It's gratitude to the little things that he has already done which brings further healing, blessing, wholeness, and salvation to our lives. This will ultimately produce worship. It will produce thanksgiving. It will produce faith in us. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's when you give thanks over the thing that he has done, is where, again, this is going back to humility. It's acknowledging the source of where it came from. And last thing, last thing that gratitude does is it brings joy and contentment. It brings joy and contentment. There's an awesome study I was reading about. Um, It's absolutely fascinating, but uh, a group of psychologists wanted to do a study on happiness, and they interviewed a whole bunch of college students, and they would ask them a series of random questions, and with one group, they asked these two questions. How happy are you? Second question, how many dates have you been on in the past year? And they didn't find a really strong correlation between how happy they were and how many dates that they'd been on when they asked those questions in that order. Second group of students, they flipped the question, how many dates have you been on in the past year? Now, how happy are you? All of a sudden, they found a strong correlation because as soon as they were forced to focus on their love life or lack of love life, the happiness meter went down. It, all of a sudden, they were, they were like, you know what, I have not been on a date in three years. I, I rated a zero in my happiness scale or something like that. And what he talked about in this study and in this book was that there's something called focus points or the focus illusion, and that is what we focus on often determines our attitude in our heart. It often, we're we're tricked and deceived when we focus on the wrong thing to affect the, the, the posture from our heart. Mark Batterson writes in this book, he says, as your focus changes, your perspective will change. As your perspective changes, your life will change. Um, another book I was reading by an author named John Acuff is one of my favorite uh, speakers. Uh, he, oh, he's a speaker with the Dave Ramsey organization. Many of you have seen him whenever, if you've been through financial peace. But he tells a story of when he was a young writer and he used to write for all these different companies. He would write for autotrader.com. He would write ads for Home Depot and so on and so forth. But he expressed that he went through a real season of depression because he was writing, but he wasn't writing what he wanted to write. He, he ultimately wanted to be a blogger. He wanted to influence people. He wanted to write Christian works. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to write all these things that had a little bit more meaning and were from his heart. And so he would talk about how frustrated he would get at his job and, you know, he would get, bu- he would get booking, uh, you know, speaking engagements and occasionally he'd go off and speak for some company or something like that. And it really, it fed his heart. You know, he's like my dream. I want to be on stage. I want to influence people. I want to write and I want to influence people. And then he would go back to his day job, which he absolutely hated, and he would be like, God, this is so miserable. I'm in a cubicle. I'm surrounded by all these people I don't like. I want to be out there. And and then it's like God speaks to him instantly. He's like, so let me get this straight. You want to leave your job because you're frustrated with people so you can go and influence people. He's like, okay, I understand. That changed everything for him. All of a sudden, he was able to turn something that he hated to do into the very thing that he wanted to do. And God took him through a season of, you be faithful to minister to the people that are already in your life. You have this dream or this passion that involves people. I have given you people. Do something good with them. Love them. Care for them. Influence them. Encourage them. be, Be a pastor to them in the context that you're in. And I will give you influence in the area that's most passionate to your heart. And he did that, and, you know, long story short, he did get his dream. He was able to go on and work for his hero, Dave Ramsey. He was able, able to go on and write several books and one of the most successful blogs that's out there right now. Um, that convicted me, you know, because it, it's very easy for us to get to a posture to where we're unsatisfied with a season of our life and there's something that we do desire. There's a passion that we have or a dream that we have. What God might say to each and every one of us is, be grateful for the season that I've put you in because that's training, you know, David was once uh, prophesied over in the Old Testament that he would be a king. Years later, he's spending most uh, a significant portion of his life on the run, hiding, being you know tracked down and chased by King Saul, constantly being threatened. His life was on the limb. Say, God, what are you doing? It's like I'm making a king. That's what he does in those seasons where we have a passion. Be thankful for those transition seasons. Um, Stephen Furtick has this. Uh, saying that is really amazing and I've kind of adopted it. He says, what bitterness and unforgiveness do in our heart to sustain offense and misery, gratitude does to sustain joy and blessing. If there's misery in our heart, if there's bitterness, unforgiveness, what that does is it's a focus point. It continues to feed an offense there's someone we're angry with. There's someone that we hate. There's someone that we're mad at. There's a, there's, there's a regret that I have. There's a job that I didn't get. There was a dream that I didn't pursue. And what we do is we focus on that, and it feeds that offense. It feeds that bitterness. It multiplies it. It amplifies it. It magnifies it. What gratitude does is it takes what God has already done or what he is doing, and it magnifies that. You do still have this. You do, this is wrong in your body. Look at what's right in your body. This is wrong in your relationships. Look at what's right in your relationships. Look at what I've already done. And it magnifies that, bringing joy and blessing and multiplication. Also with King David in the Psalms, a repeating theme is David expressing his angst towards God. God, how long will you wait? How long before? How long until you? How long until this? You know, on and on and on. And there's always a turning point in those Psalms where he starts to give thanks to God praising him and thanking him in the midst of that situation. By the end of that same psalm that started off with misery, he's joyous, thanking God, and just overflowing with praise. His focus changed, and the posture of his heart changed because of it. Uh, So as we get ready to close today, um, I want to leave you with this verse, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This verse, my prayer, would become our focus point. That a mind that is set on things above. Getting our things off of the things that are wrong. Um, in your notes, you should have plenty of like, open spaces where you can write. And I don't usually put little catchphrases in my sermons, but I want you to write down this phrase. I really think it'll help. When you turn your got-tos into your get-tos, it results in thank-yous. When you turn your got-tos into get-tos, it results in thank-yous. And what do I mean by that? Gratitude can be difficult for many of us because there's a lot of things in our life that we, quote, got to do. I've got to pay bills. I've got to go to work. I've got to go visit her. I've got to go do this. You turn those into get-tos and it will change your posture and your view of those things. I have money, so I get to pay my bills. I've got employment in a season where many people don't, so I get to go to work. Um, I've got to read my Bible. I get to spend time with God. I've got to go meet, You know, I've got to go to church or whatever that might be. I get to go fellowship with his people. You know, I've got to go eat at that restaurant where I'm not a big fan of. Oh man, I get to eat. You know, <laughs> Just go on and on. So list out maybe a few things in your life, maybe on the left-hand side, that you view as big sources of stress for yourself. These are things that I got to. Then what I want you to do is reword that in your own handwriting and however you would do it into a get-to. And as we close with communion, I want you to reflect on those things and I just want you to like, express in, you know, in your heart or in singing or however you want to do it, express thanks, express praise for those things that you get to do in your life. Know this, before Jesus ever multiplied anything, he gave thanks for everything. He gave thanks for what, what he already had. Give thanks for the small things that you do have in your life and he will begin to multiply things to things that you would like to have in your life. I've already said this before, and I don't really say this from the pulpit very often. One of the deep desires in my heart is I would really, really love to see revival break out. I would really love to see workplaces flooded with the presence of God. People are getting saved right there at the restaurant or at Walmart or wherever it might be. I want to see that like more than anything. I'm going to begin, like one of the things I'm convicted over and the things I'm going to begin to do, thankful that I'm saved. Thank you, God, that I met you. Thank you, God, that I do have friends that have come to know the Lord. Thank you for the one or the two people that I have seen get saved. Thank you for the one or two people that I have seen completely healed of, of any disease that they were going through. Thank you, Lord, for the bills that have been paid. You know, There's a lot of big, grandiose things I want to see in my life. Thank you, God, for the small beginnings, and I'm really thankful for them. And I thank you that you're going to bring bigger things in your timing and in your season. So these are things I want to reflect on as we um, go into communion. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for you and then Pastor Mike's gonna lead us in this. So Father God, we just thank you so much for everything that you've given. We thank you ultimately, Lord God, that you are enough. Lord God, that in you there is abundance. In you there is, there is just greatness and fullness and joy that cannot be expressed, Lord God. In your presence, Lord God, there is everything that we need. And Lord God, everything that you give is such a gift. Everything that you give is so wonderful. We thank you for your refreshing. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your son, Lord God, who paid a price that we could never pay so that we can experience a relationship with you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us power and strength that we can never have so we can live the life that you have called us to. We thank you, Lord God, for every mercy that is new every morning. We thank you, Lord God, for every gift that you have given so freely. We thank you, Lord God, for every season which is either uh, sweet and refreshing or challenging but strengthens strengthens each and every one of of us nonetheless. So we thank you, Lord God, for everything you've given. We thank you, Lord God, for the difficulties, for the challenges that make us strong. We thank you, Lord God, uh, for the blessings uh, which just flood our hearts with joy. We thank you for family and friends. We thank you for children, for parents, for grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. We thank you for the work that we have. We thank you for our employers, Lord God. We thank you for our nation. We thank you for this country that we get to live in. God, there's much that we would change about our nation, but thank you for the nation nonetheless. Thank you for those in leadership. Thank you for those in positions of authority. Thank you, Lord God, for our president, for our congressmen, our senators, our Supreme Court justices. We pray blessing over them. We pray favor and not harm, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, that you would do greater things in this country. So, um, Lord God, as we take communion and as we reflect on your body and on your blood, Lord God, would you just posture our hearts and bring to remembrance all the things that you've done and that we can give you the praise that you're due. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mike.